Does your brand stand out in the crowded marketplace of fintech? As the world's leader in digital payments, partnering with Visa can help you to uncover what makes your brand exceptional. Whatever your payment plans, Visa is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk forward slash fintech. One thing that I tell a lot of people that are joining content teams within many organizations over here in Copenhagen is, in effect, you are the internal reporter within the company. So go to where the story is. So hello and welcome to Fintech Marketing Podcast. I'm Mariette Ferreira. In today's episode, we want to look at what good content marketing looks like. Content is in the marketing toolkit for most brands, fulfilling lots of different roles, from awareness and brand affinity through to lead gen and sales. But it's really hard to get right. So I have with me some great guests to help us unpick this and dive a bit deeper into the quality, quantity, and growing trends in content marketing. First up, we have Alex Campbell, Senior PR and Comms Manager at Free Trade. Alex, how are you? Great, thanks. How are you doing? Amazing, thank you. Also with us, we have Luke Richardson, Director of Brand and Comms at Plio. How are things are in Denmark, Luke? Doing good, thanks. Happy to be here. Fantastic. And last, but by no means least, we have our very own Eric Fawala from 11FS and Fintech Marketing Podcast host. How are you, Eric? I am great. It's nice to be on this side of the table for once. <laughs> Amazing. Let's dive in. I want to start by looking at what makes good content. So Luke, I'm going to hand over to you. I'm interested to know how you define good content. Yeah, I guess that's a sort of timeless question that probably keeps me up at night often, right? I think you kind of outlined a little bit in your intro there. It's something around brand affinity. The way that we work with it here at Plio, we, we have three people in the content team. Then they work sort of holistically across markets. And we have content producers for each of the six markets that we're in as well. And the key for them, I think, and, and the, what we really try to enfo- uh, enforce with, with that team and their, their focus is that content is effectively like the voice of the business, but it's also the voice of the customer. So that customer and brand centricity is key to everything they do. And part of that as well is defining what what actually is content right you know beyond like blog posts maybe email marketing to some extent like how broadly do you want to define that for us we think of it quite quite broadly so we we factor this into any product launches any customer communications on help centers and so on kind of content for us or content is content marketing is kind of defined more broadly as content it's any sort of tone of voice and verbiage that you may find around the company of plio eric any thoughts on that I'm just curious, actually, to ask a follow-up question, if you don't mind, Luke. You mentioned that you view content as the voice of the brand, but also the voice of the customer. I think a lot of people, myself included, probably naturally default to, okay, content marketing, start with the brand and work outwards. I'm curious to hear what you mean by content also being the voice of the customer and how you bring that to life. Yeah, sure. I mean, first and foremost, what we really try to enforce with the team, and this isn't specific to content, actually, this is more broadly the entire marketing team, we at least try to enforce having customer centricity is key of everything that we do. And for us, that starts with having monthly check-ins and like interviews with some of our customers. So that materializes in the content marketing team in the sense of this, what we call Plio Heroes. We do monthly pieces where we interview some of the customers that we have across any of those six markets. And we're, I guess, providing like a, a megaphone for some of these businesses as well, to, to, to some extent. That's something that we've really tried to double down on in the sort of COVID period as well, because 
some of those businesses using our services are small family-run businesses or very early stage startups. So we see that as a good opportunity to kind of provide a bit of a spotlight in the way that they're working. So that's that's how it really connects to what we're doing. And then I think it's more broadly, like our brand is sort of carried by our customers, right? Like everything in the marketing stack is insignificant if you don't have a strong word of mouth feeling to your brand. And for us, content can really help provide that relationship to allow for that word of mouth feeling. And I think it's interesting on that note, and that's helpful to understand. So thinking about these businesses and telling their story, because I know that it's not influencers, but I think this comes up a lot when people talk about influencers. Influencers, or in your case, small businesses as content producers for the brand is really interesting. On the influencer side, most people think of it as distribution, but actually the opportunity for influencers to be producing content that maybe you don't have the resources to do internally, so it expands the pipeline of content production that you can do. And oftentimes, particularly with influencers, they can sometimes be better at producing contextual content on these platforms than even the best in-house teams because, you know, that's a lot of what they focus on doing. So I know I'm kind of like mashing two things, influencers and what you're talking about, Luke, but I think that's really interesting and smart how you, um, how you, how you weave in the customer centricity voice of the customer within your content strategy, but then also leverage your customer to tell that story and I'd imagine produce some great content that helps with the resource constraints and the story that you want to tell. The point that you made, Eric, about who actually creates the content, I think is really interesting. And I want to hand over to Alex here because I know you guys do a lot of work with your community and the fact that it doesn't actually just come from your own people internally and from your sort of community, from your customers is a really interesting element. And for me, that kind of ties into the role of content because Luke also talked about what is content, right? So um, I'm interested to hear about like, what is actually the role of content marketing for you guys at Free Trade? Like what, what, what purpose does it serve? So I think the purpose is twofold. It's about educating our customers and then it's also about engaging our customers or prospective customers. So we do a lot around education, around daily market insights. So we've got a team of analysts who write a daily sort of market wrap email that goes out each afternoon. We do a deeper dive once a week that's intended to sort of encourage somebody to take a unique look at maybe a household name or brand that they hadn't thought about in a particular way. So a great example was sort of a deep dive into Pepsi's history and where that company came from. Or And uh, it, it, you get a lot of great feedback based on that. But then I guess the community element is also really important and playing that out across your channels. So your, your, your own channels, your social media, your website, but also pushing it out through earned channels like the media, those customers in that, those situations can much better illustrate sort of the impact of our product on their day-to-day lives and their financial well-being than sort of me or a representative of free trade saying, yes, we're a great company, we do great work and everything. So it's much more authentic in that way when you can activate your customers in that way. So education seems to be a central theme. And actually, there's something that we talk about at LiveNFS quite often as well. We talk about the role of content also um, being there to entertain. So it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, education and engagement. 
I think there's a, another element to this with financial services, right? And if I'm thinking specifically things like crypto, buy now, pay later, trading, I wonder if education almost becomes a responsibility. Entirely. Yes. I say that we have a duty of care to our customers. We sort of prioritize the motto, treat your customers fairly. It's what the FCA says is the duty of a financial services brand. And that's something that we, I don't know, we have it blazoned on the wall of our office. So this is a guiding principle that we bring to everything we do. I wouldn't set up educational content as necessarily opposed to entertaining content. I think the purpose in my mind is to create something that's engaging and entertaining that might be about a subject that you would have heard somebody mention and then yawn and switch off immediately. The purpose is to actually get people engaged and thinking about something like what a bond is and actually thinking about why this is an important thing and not something you should switch off about. Eric, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just going to build on that because I think the engaging piece is obviously very you know, prevalent and important in any conversation around content marketing. And that's, you know, that's probably something that that's a word that a lot of people are thinking about if they're responsible for building or executing a content marketing strategy. But I think, and I have your words in my head, Mariette, you know, how do we make this actionable? How do we give people real takeaways? I think one shift that I think about a lot, and I know you and your teams think about a lot, Mariette, is how do we make sure that we earn the audience's attention with the content that we do? And I think that's a fundamental shift in perspective from a traditional marketing approach or advertising approach. If you think of just the cliche 30-second TV spot, a lot of the way that brands or marketers think about the content in that advertising is, okay, I've got 30 seconds to tell a story. But the shift to content marketing, and in my opinion, for the brands that do it well, is they don't assume that they have the audience's attention. They assume that they have to earn it by producing content that adds value or is engaging. So I just wanted to draw that out because I think that's an actionable thing that people can take away is that shift from don't expect that you have your audience's attention, plan on earning it through the content that you produce. Luke? Yeah, I wanted to circle back to the very first question that you asked in terms of what makes good content good content. And I'm not sure if I fully answered that effectively. So let's give that a second try. I think in connection to what you're outlining, Eric, and this is, again, maybe not specific to to content marketing, but more broadly marketing. But if it smells of marketing, it's probably bad marketing. And there's a feeling that what you're also outlining there, Alex, that I think content marketing as a whole has such a great opportunity, not just to be a lever for demand generation, for bringing in new customers, but communicating with those pre-existing customers as well, which maybe if you have that focus or you have that opportunity to have that relationship with your customers, you also get that opportunity to place bigger bets and you know invest more in the sort of creating delight and entertainment for those customers. And for us, that's been something that, I'm not saying that we've cracked the code necessarily, but given the year and a half that everybody has had, there's been such a great opportunity to foster those relationships with those customers. And content can be a great way of doing that. Yeah, I, I want to just come back to your point, Eric, on earning your audience's attention. Because in my experience, there's very few marketing teams that will say they don't do content. I feel like everyone has a go. <laughs> but there's so much stuff out there and there's so much just being produced because the brand wants to communicate you know, their message, their voice, et cetera, rather than thinking about what it is that the customer wants to hear, what the audience will get value from. It's not easy to get right. It's actually pretty hard. And I wonder if, you know, coming back to the, the actionable insights, if anyone has any views on 
Why is it so hard to get right? I think it's so hard to get right because a few things. I think internally in the way that most businesses are run, businesses overall, but even within marketing departments of certain companies, there's a big focus on short-term return and direct attribution from marketing activity, which is obviously not wrong, but you know what gets measured gets done, but not everything that matters can be measured. Meaning there are some things that you often can't see the attribution to, but are still the right things to do. And I think at 11FS, you know, we have the luxury of, of having a, being a B2B business, but having a CEO who's very brand and marketing oriented, really understands the value of that. And, you know, lets us and you, Mariette, and Tobias, who's our head of media, invest in content and this approach that we know and now see after five years brings real return. But if we had tried to measure that in like, okay, this podcast, what's the revenue it's generating for the business in a 90-day window, you wouldn't be able to do it. And then I think the other side of it externally is like, there's so much content out there, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's that expression People don't consume advertising, they consume good content or something like that, basically. You're competing as a brand, not just against other competitors in your category, not just against other advertisers of any kind. You're competing against anybody that's producing content. And so the you know opportunity to stand out, you have to be really good at it to be able to earn that attention. And that's a, that's a hard thing to execute. So I think with everything, it's the execution more than the idea that separates the people that can do it well from the people who can't. But I think it's, you know, it's really challenging on both fronts, internally with stakeholders and how you fit it into a business strategy, and then externally just competing for those eyeballs and ear holes. You have to do it really well consistently over time. Alex, I saw you nodding when Eric talked about what gets measured gets done. How do you guys measure the value of your content? So I come from a PR background and historically public relations people don't measure things or hate measuring things or don't don't get into as much data as they probably should do. And um, working in a team that is incredibly data focused now and is incredibly focused on attribution and the like, this sort of forced me into over the last year or so a real change of orientation. So what we're looking at are things like Overall, the numbers of subscribers, like growth in audience, but also engagement metrics around those audiences. So whether it's people who are clicking through and engaging with newsletters, people who are responding to newsletters, building in social dimensions to that as well, um, just to get a sense of what that audience wants and whether or not, you know, we're competing successfully for those eyes and ears. Those are the real key things for us. And I think just to build on that, Alex, because I think it's a really good point in what I'm talking about, I'm not saying don't measure things, right? Because Marriott, like we talk about all the time, it's art and science together. You need both those things. I just think that if you try to tie everything to a direct short-term business attribution, you're going to miss a lot of opportunity. And so I think, I think that's right, Alex, looking at how do you quantify, it's almost like quantifying the value of the content you're putting out there, looking at those audience metrics and those engagement metrics. And you know, another actionable thing for me would be with content marketing, I think you need to think of your role more as a publisher than a marketer. And what I mean by that is a publisher thinks about how do you build an audience? How do you engage an audience? Whereas a marketer is, is at least the stereotypical marketer is going to think more about the business results that you need to drive. And obviously you got to find a balance, but if you put more of a publisher hat on, I think that will lead you towards 
the right approach and also the right metrics, some of which you, you already talked about, Alex. Eric, you used the word quantify. So that's a fantastic segue that I'm going to use to lead into our next section. We all know production is really important, but distribution is equally, if not more important. So I want to look at what good distribution looks like and what you need to do to get your content seen. Now, Eric and I talk about this quite a lot. Sometimes we debate it because it's hard to get the balance right between quantity and quality. So um, Eric, I'd actually love for you to share your view with everyone on why volume is so important. I'm smiling because, yeah, we've had our fair share of debates about this. And I've had my fair share of debates with other people, but I believe in this passionately. So let me get on my soapbox for a second. I think quality matters. The quality of the content that you put out determines whether or not people are going to pay attention to it, much less share it, much less take an action that you want for your business. However, I think in general, and obviously generalizations aren't going to fit everybody, the marketing industry within financial services and other industries vastly underestimates and undervalues the volume of content that you need to be effective in the world of 2021. The three biggest reasons for that for me are Feed dynamics, because that's where most of this content is going. Feed dynamics and social and digital media are a completely different ecosystem than linear above the line distribution, right? You are fighting an algorithm and you need to have a ton of content to be able to bubble to the top within it. Feedback is the other thing. You need as much insight as possible from your audience on what works and what doesn't. And if you produce more content, you get more insight, more feedback. And then the third thing is, you know, a lot of the decisions that people make to not put content out there comes from people's subjective opinion about what they think is right or wrong. And most of us are not the target audience that we're trying to reach. We might think that we know them, but we don't make the decision about what's good content and bad content. Our audience and our customers do. The way I think about it on that segment is, I think most people, most marketers are trying to push for 100% perfection in the content that they put out. I think it should be 80%. Make sure it's not bad. Make sure that it hits the quality threshold that represent your brand in the right way. But then you need to focus on quantity beyond that so that you can compete in a feed, get more feedback on what works and what doesn't, and take more of the subjectivity out of it. And then the last thing, you know, you never want to try to make your content go viral, but sometimes you don't really know what's going to do well and what's not going to do well. So you got to put a lot of stuff out there to have the chance, more of a chance of some of those things getting that earned attention that can bring in a new audience and deliver exponential results. Get off my soapbox and curious to hear what other people think. Luke, what do you reckon? Do you agree? For the most part, yeah. I think, you know, that's a good was it a three-pronged approach to producing this work and i do certainly believe that you can't be precious with your content marketing initiatives to the point where you're focusing on perfection versus that volume it's quite a hard balance to find and if we again look at sort of like redefining the sort of content space and thinking more specifically around the sort of organic channels that you're outlining there as well eric you know for us something that we've seen as a huge driver for us in terms of spreading the word it may not necessarily be on a sort of lead generation perspective but you know very much top funnel is is the user generated content approach and for that i would also include our employees so being so proactive on of course we're a b2b as well so linkedin is is our main driver here and from what we can tell as well like the algorithm is far more favorable to an individual from a company representing that company spreading the word and the mission about what you're up to versus us doing it as a company all the time so i think that that's something that we 
are trying to do a lot of. Another part of this is syndication. So, you know, again, we are focusing on this content marketing jewel within the plethora of marketing initiatives that any company can take on, but everything is blended. And thinking about how we can take something that may germinate as a blog post or a brief idea of, um, let's say, like an organic social post, how we can then translate that to other markets or transcreate that, the internationalization of the work that we're doing. But then also consider it probably closer towards like Alex's bread and butter of like the, the PR perspective and the earned media. How can we leverage that in terms of bylines and you know communications opportunities outside of your own channels? That's quite a you know, if that was an algebra equation, I wouldn't be able to figure that out. But that's because I'm not so good at algebra. But um, I think it's it's quite difficult to find that balance. The way that we do that is we really invest in editorial meetings where we pick up any number of ideas. We have like a content dump of hundreds of potential avenues and, and sort of topics that we could be covering. And we try and figure out, well, what is the initial format that this will take? Let the sort of story dictate that format. And then hopefully provide volume, not just in terms of number of pieces, but the numbers of ways of stretching an individual theme or or content story. Alex, I'd love to hear about how you guys plan your content. So the basic answer is that we do weekly sort of editorial meetings where we look at the week ahead, what's going to be happening. And in some respects, that drives what we're going to be writing about, because a lot of it, it's market analytical content um, that our customers want. I might have to argue against Eric's soapbox speech slightly. I think there's a point at which you hit a certain volume of content and you need to start digging down and focusing on the experience that users have with that content. I think, Eric, you were touching on this a little bit with the feed dynamics and sort of the algorithm that you're fighting up against. I think there's a point at which you have to say, okay, how are your customer is going to be discovering this content and digging into it. And some of the pain points that I'm finding right now are when pieces of content aren't tagged properly and end up getting buried and there's you're missing out on some search functionality and all of those sorts of things. And you need to be able to take a step back and think, okay, we've got a rhythm down. We're generating great content that seems to drive engagement above a certain benchmark. What can we do to really take this to the next level? And I think it's it, it comes down to experience then and the, the sort of experience you provide to your customers. I think that's so important is to keep looking at engagement metrics rather than reach metrics. I've seen a lot of content reporting around number of views, number of impressions, et cetera, rather than, you know, if I use social media metrics, like the actual engagement metrics. And again, you know, when Eric and I debate this, we talk a lot around getting that balance right, because yes, you're fighting the algorithm, but you have to stay focused on the engagement because ultimately you want your customers to get value from it, to actually see it, to do something with it. So that, to be frank, you also get value from it. So uh, I think as long as you stay focused on the engagement metrics rather than reach metrics, you're off to a good start. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. I think one of the other things that can come up is sometimes I think people on the marketing side can make relatively subjective or focus group of one decisions on how much is the right amount of content. You know, one post a day you know, X number per whatever, that's kind of based on like a gut instinct of what they feel is is right or what they've been, it's, you know, it's, it's not based on the data or some type of insight about what's going to bring more value or what's going to bring less value. So I think sometimes there are those subjective constraints 
that we put around volume of content. And I just think that we should be questioning that. And if you're working backwards from how do I add more value to the audience, then you're going to make the right decision. And really the number of posts of content is just a tactic to try to get there. That's the strategy. And that's what really matters. Fantastic. I'm going to use that as a pause. We're just going to take a break here. We'll be back very shortly. MLB isn't just another hard to remember acronym. It stands for Minimum Lovable Brand, the 11FS approach to creating modern, iterative brands to help cut through the noise and create a genuine connection with customers and their culture. Brand is everything in this digital-first world, and we want to help you get it right. To learn more about Minimum Lovable Brand and to download our free handbook, head to bit.ly forward slash 11FSMLB. In the second half of the show, I'm interested to hear about your focus in 2021 from a format perspective. We have so many new tools and channels and formats popping up every day with some losing traction as quickly as they're trending. So, Luke, what are your thoughts on this? Any winning formats of 2021? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, kind of circling back a little bit to the earlier conversation, I think for us, Format is sort of secondary or, you know, your format is tactical, really, alongside your strategy and what you feel that you should be communicating, what you think is going to ultimately convert leads, but then also like delight, educate, entertain your customers. So it's fair to say we don't like jump onto the bandwagon to try out new initiatives as soon as they are there. We really try to figure out what makes sense for us and also, more importantly, where we know our customers are engaging with us. So, you know, we, we take a lot of our content efforts and and do them direct. So I think we already discussed newsletters. That's something that's a really big driver for us. Looking at, you know, just open rates, click-through rates of the content that we're producing there. Initiatives that we are, and I think that you guys at 11FS have done phenomenally well within the space as well, but beyond the sort of marketing of your service, there's also the thought leadership opportunity that you have for, you know, representing the space of financial services. So thinking about curated newsletters where you are talking about that world as a whole, not just your brand and your placement within it. That's something that we are investing more in and particularly on a quite a hyper-localized level. And so far we see that that could take off. That could be really great for us. And then in terms of like more broadly outside of formats, thinking about focus for the year, I think I've already mentioned quite a bit around like customer centricity. It's an easy thing to say, put it that way, quite hard to actually deliver. And, you know, that that does rely on having a strong relationship with your customer base. So that's one thing. And another part of this uh, in connection to community building, I guess that goes hand in hand with the customer relations that you're, you're forming. But one thing we're really aware of, and this is more like on an analytical level, here at Plio, we're kind of defining our own category in terms of what our product is all about. And a big part of that as well is creating demand where there previously wasn't any. So thinking about this space of like, how can we really double down on SEO to sort of pick up on that growing demand? And that means, of course, doing stuff about our service, but then more broadly thinking about, well, what are the problems or the questions really that our customers and potential customers have and how can we help solve them? So that's something that we are really excited about investing in going forward this year. Amazing. Alex, what about you guys at Free Trade? Are there any specific channels or formats or tools that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, lots. Probably anything that makes a traditional financial services institution uncomfortable. We like we like to explore, which I like to do <laughs> from a mischievous standpoint. So we're doing, I, I like sort of these shorter snippet pieces around video, audio, interactive audio is great. And we've seen sort of 
it's shift from a bit of a fad with Clubhouse to something maybe with a bit more staying power around Twitter spaces. Um, we've started, we did a sort of an impromptu session in the last week or so with two of our analysts talking to Markets Wrap, which was, had fairly good engagement on it. And I think it's something that might evolve. It's just nice to be able to have something that's much more it's both interactive and a little bit more informal and provide your customers with that opportunity to, you know, dip in, dip out, maybe ask a question, maybe just listen. And it's it's almost like a podcast, but, you know, without all of this planning and everything that goes into it. Amazing. Eric, what are your thoughts? What are you keeping an eye on? I think at a macro level, always keeping an eye on and getting a, a taste for, so not just reading headlines, but actually playing around with, the platforms where your audience's attention is shifting to, because it's always changing, right? And so I think particularly within the world of social and digital, you know, the shift to audio, that's obviously an interesting one. And I agree with you, Alex, like, you know, where's the staying power going to be? I'm very bearish on Clubhouse right now, just because I think that they didn't get to that critical mass quickly enough and didn't figure out how to solve for the signal to noise problem. You have so many notifications. How do you actually find the good content? And also, a lot of people compared them to Snapchat, who has been able to stick around even though everybody copied them. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, everybody was already working on their audio thing. And so they didn't have the luxury like Snap did of a long period of time before those competitors came to market. It was a very short window, and I'm not sure that they really established themselves. So I think audio is definitely here to stay simply because it's more efficient to talk than it is to type. And so I think that's interesting. And then within social, I think a lot of people, particularly in the world of financial services, because we're rightfully so, typically more conservative with where we put our brands. If anybody's trying to reach 25 to 40 year olds in Western market, TikTok is massive and massively underpriced for the attention that's there right now. So I'm not necessarily saying everybody should go set up an account, but I think the principle of you know, where is your audience's attention really going? And do you really understand how that platform works? Have you tested it out? Have you tasted it? The other thing I would say, kind of to what Luke was saying about email, because I think email should sound a lot sexier than it does to a lot of marketers, because it, it's a direct connection to the customer. And particularly in a post-cookie Apple iOS 14 world, the business and the brand that has the more direct connection to the customer is going to win. And so I think anything where you can actually have the direct connection as opposed to having to build your community on somebody else's platform is a good thing to be looking at too. Yeah, email is an interesting one for me because to be frank, when I started this year, I didn't think that would be a channel that we would be building out and investing in. It feels like, you know, email had its day five years ago, but now I sort of see more and more interesting, you know, this is, I suppose this is partly because of Substack, right? But so much interesting content coming out of email, but then almost being channel neutral in that sense and it being distributed across various different platforms. So yeah, I, I agree, Eric. It's like keep an eye on where your audience is, but then also don't disregard some of the, the old school channels. Lastly, I would like to hear about some actionable advice that you guys have for any content marketers starting out. I know we, we touched on that a few things already, so I think there's great things for content marketers to be taking away from this. But in your experience or the past however many years, what would be sort of some key takeaways that you can share with content marketers? Luke, I'll start with you. It's always tough being the first one, you know, because these two guys are going to say something far more profound now that they've had the time to think about it. 
what to say? I mean, one thing which is kind of ironic and a little bit funny to me within a marketing team is that, you know, you're ultimately bringing people through the door and getting towards converting, but there's very little proximity that you'll have to those leads that then turn into customers. So sort of a general advice, and again, this is maybe not specific to content marketing, but for those content producers, copywriters, and so on out there, I would really encourage them to reduce the space, the gap between them and the customers. So really encouraging, it may put you a little bit uncomfortable at the starting point, but you know, write something and get the feedback from your customers if you can. See if it's resonating. And you know, beyond thinking about the stuff that they want to hear within the financial services space, learn about what kind of drink they would be ordering in a bar, what kind of film they watched last night, the stuff that they engage with outside of their world of working. Which, you know, let's face it, the barrier between life and work in the last year and a half has sort of merged, blended. We are working asynchronously. And I think that we have that opportunity to be a lot more like personal and on the level with customers and potential customers there. And another thing which, you know, was probably connected to 2021 success metrics for us, you know, we're in these six markets. And one thing that I would encourage for uh, any B2B or financial services provider is, get as local as possible as quickly as possible. So think about beyond the formats that are popular within Spain or Germany or something like that, but really the topicality and the tone and the interest within the market. I think that we probably take it for granted like how unique, bespoke these markets are and the people representing them. So that's something for me that I would definitely encourage. Make sure that you get as local as possible as quickly as possible. Fantastic. That's great advice. Alex? So I think building off of that great insight, Luke, and hopefully not just repeating the same one again, <laughs> uh, which is the charm of going second. I think a great piece of advice is, especially in the B2C space, is to find your niche and really own it. For us, like our mission as a company is to get everybody investing and you can very quickly deteriorate it and lose your focus if you're looking at trying to be something to everybody, then you're nothing to nobody. So what you need to do is you need to figure out what it is that you're servicing, what that niche is, and really dig down and own that. Like the most successful, Substack's a great example. The most successful ones are the most bizarre niches that you never assumed would have had a significant readership, except that's going to be a highly, highly engaged readership when you can focus in on that audience. Amazing. Thank you. And Eric? Yeah, I was trying to think. I mean, we covered a lot of ground already, and I agree with both those points. I think the other thing that we didn't talk about, but that I do think could be helpful to some people listening if they're responsible for content marketing is I think oftentimes we approach content marketing with the mindset of how do we create something? You know, again, more of that traditional like marketing, how do I create an advertisement? How do I create content? But I think it can be a bit of an unlock for people if they start to think more about how do you capture the things that your company is already doing or is already as opposed to creating. You might end up, it might end up being the same thing in terms of how you produce a video or, you know, design a piece of content. But I think that mindset shift maybe can help some people if you think of your role as content marketer. Because again, a lot of what we talked about, Alex, you talked about the mission of your company. Luke, you talked about how you go about it with your team. A lot of that is capturing what's already there with your customers, with your teams internally, with the mission that you already have. And so that can sometimes free people up to realize how much content there is just within the walls of the business already, as opposed to having that pressure, that creative pressure to try to 
create something new. So I think that shift of think of how do you capture content, not just create content, maybe that can help. Yeah, I wanted to sort of echo that as well. I think that's really astute, Eric. And one thing that I tell a lot of people that are joining content teams within many organizations over here in Copenhagen is, in effect, you are the internal reporter within the company. So go to where the story is. Love that. And that's something that you know, when you think about a content marketer in the purest sense of a copywriter, let's say, you may come from that marketing perspective, or you may come from that PR or journalist perspective. So these are sort of just good common practices to be having. Go to where the story is. Amazing. I love those. Um, I'll throw in one in there, which um, I won't claim that I came up with it because this tweet that I read, but has really stuck with me. I feel like as content marketers, people sometimes get hung up on the attention span and the length of a video of a piece of content of an email. And I saw someone on Twitter basically saying that people don't have a short attention span, they have a short consideration span. And that's just really stuck with me because, I, you know, we can sit and listen to a three-hour Joe Rogan show. Like, we don't have a problem with attention spans. It's there's so much competing for your attention that that split second of consideration of where am I going to focus my time is the most important part. And that's why we see sub stacks that are three pages long or Simon Taylor writes brain food every Sunday, which it's, it is a really long piece, right? But it's such a good read. So it, it's not about the attention. It's about that grabbing their attention and making sure that you're the one that's winning it. So on that note, that's a wrap. Um, for today's discussion. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining me. I'd love to hear about where people can find out more about you, Alex. So yeah, if anybody's interested in finding out more about free trade, you can head over to our website, which is freetrade.io. The app is in the app store. And we're also, we're actively recruiting loads and loads of very talented marketers right now. So take a look if that might be of interest. Amazing. Luke? Yeah, so I'm from a company called Plio. As a reminder, that's P-L-E for Eric. Oh, uh, so you can head to plio.io, hear a little bit more about our business. We're in the, the business of making spend a little bit smoother for companies of all shapes and sizes. For me personally, uh, I'm not sure if this is common for a lot of marketers, but I'm quite soft on social media these days. But, you know, anyone can, of course, reach out to us, follow us on uh, LinkedIn, or they can also follow me directly. Yeah, we've got some very exciting things coming up, both in terms of like delivery on features and stuff that we're doing with customers, but we also are hiring a great deal as well. So if you're interested, we'd love to hear from people. Amazing. And Eric. Eric at 11fs.com and LinkedIn. Fantastic. And anyone can find me on LinkedIn or I'm on Twitter, sometimes at Mariette, F-E-R. And of course, have a look at everything that we do on 11fs.com. So thanks for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and help others find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Marketing Podcast or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thanks very much and goodbye. <laughs>